The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, a senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, normally when we talk about big health programs in Africa, the first thing that comes to mind is PEPFAR. Now, PEPFAR is the Presidential Emergency Fund for AIDS Relief. It's sponsored by the United States, started under the George W. Bush administration, and has received a lot of praise, well-deserved praise, for saving millions and millions of lives. I think somewhere up uh, upwards of 10 million lives is what people are saying right now. So that's a program that gets a lot of attention. What's interesting, though, is other programs... Uh, don't get anywhere near the amount of attention that PEPFAR does. And there are some other programs. And one specifically we're going to talk about is in malaria. Now, malaria is one of those little tiny diseases that kills a whole lot of people. And it's it's transmitted by mosquitoes. Nearly half of the world's population lives in areas at risk of malaria in 91 countries and territories. And in 2017, which is the latest data coming from the World Health Organization, there were an estimated 219 million cases of malaria in 87 different countries. I mean, think about the scale of that. Now, on terms of deaths, uh, 435,000 people in 2017 died with about 92% of malaria cases and 93% of malaria deaths happening in Africa. So, Cobus, it is a very, very serious problem, and it's one that doesn't get anywhere near the attention that it deserves. It's a massive problem, and it's, it's, one of its features is it's not only a public health problem per se, it's also a massive development problem, because people who, who suffer from malaria have, typically have very low energy, um, so they, they tend to just have to you know, stay at home and be ill, um, and they um, so, which means that it takes them out of um, out of the the workforce, um, and at the same time, malaria can some some strains of malaria are recurrent, so you can you can actually get ill of malaria you know, several times in your life. Um, so you can see, like, accumul accumulatively, there's actually, it, it has a, a, a kind of an outsized impact on, on a, a particular country's economy. Now, I mentioned the number of deaths that in 2017 stood at 435,000. Let me just give you a little bit of context. Uh, terrorism deaths worldwide in that same year was at 18,475 and you think about all of the resources worldwide that we put into fighting terrorism uh, compared to and – and the deaths are a small fraction. Now, uh, AIDS-related illnesses uh, still kill a lot more people than even malaria. And in 2017, that was at 940,000 people. But the impact, as we talked about, is disproportionately in Africa – and what's interesting here is that the Chinese have been very, very active in fighting malaria. And there's a couple different pathways that this has taken. Uh, on the private sector side, there's a company called Fosun, which is based out of Shanghai, Fosun Pharmaceutical. They claim to have saved 20 million lives worldwide, and they distribute uh, a, a medication called Artisan. 
And in 2017, they distributed 100 million vials of this anti-malarial medication. So it's really very interesting. And that's what caught our attention to a report put together by a trio of journalists talking about what the Chinese are doing in Africa in terms of malaria. And uh, and this is a report that came out in July. It was uh, written by three excellent journalists who were thrilled to have on the program. We've never done a five-person show before. So bear with me as I go through the introductions very quickly. Uh, first, we're joined by Jacob Kushner, who's an independent journalist who writes about migration, conflict and extremism, foreign aid, corruption, human rights, you name it, Jacob's there. If you are a very, very long-time listener of the program, dating back all the way to 2013, Jacob joined us to talk about some of the reporting grants that he did or the reporting work he did in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So, Jacob, a very good morning to you from North Carolina in the United States. Thanks very much for having me back. Oh, it's fantastic to have you back. You're also joined by one of your reporting colleagues, uh, Sun Chen, who works as a freelance journalist for a variety of media outlets in both China and in Europe. She mainly works for Phoenix TV, uh, which is the Hong Kong-based network that broadcasts in Mandarin as a correspondent covering German and European politics. But she also focuses a lot of attention on Chinese investment in Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Chen, from Berlin. Hello, everybody. A pleasure to join you guys today. Oh, it's fantastic to have you. And finally, very, very important, we're joined by Anthony Langyat. He's a Kenyan freelance journalist based in Nairobi, whose work focuses on climate change, human rights, refugees, migration, security, health, and environment. His work has been published in DevEx, uh, Manga Bay, Mongo Bay, uh, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, U.S. News, and World Report. A very good afternoon to you, Anthony. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me. Well, thank you guys for all taking the time. It's really fantastic to have you on to talk about an issue that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time and never really found the right opportunity to do it. This article that ran, Jacob, and I'm going to start with you, in The Atlantic that was under your byline, uh, you talked about how Chinese philanthropy towards anti-malarial initiatives in parts of Africa are using a very different and perhaps smarter approach than what Western groups like the Gates Foundation, like uh, the United States uh, Agency for International Development, a number of Western organizations have been doing to combat the same disease. What are the Chinese doing that is different compared to what U.S. and European NGOs and governments have been doing all these years to fight malaria? Well, sure, Eric. So first of all, to maybe introduce some of the ways malaria has been combated in recent years. So something that many listeners may have heard of are uh, insecticide-treated bed nets. So, so these have been one of the most effective technologies in the recent decades that have been distributed all over the world. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's for when, when you go to bed at night, um, you sleep under these uh, bed nets, and that significantly reduces uh, malaria transmission. And so that's been one of the biggest technologies that everyone East and West has, has embraced. Um, if you've been listening to the news lately, you've probably heard um, news about uh, a couple new technologies that are being developed, um, largely Western-funded technologies. Um, one of these is the, the idea of genetically modifying mosquitoes so that they cannot carry the parasite, or you know, or, or genetically modifying mosquitoes so that um, you know all the, the mosquitoes of one gender um, uh, are killed, and then the, therefore mosquitoes cannot reproduce. So, so getting rid of mosquitoes is kind of one experimental uh, path that's being taken that you may have heard news about recently. And, and the other um, kind of new technologies being developed are vaccines against malaria, against the malaria parasite. And these vaccine, vaccines have started to, to are being rolled out in certain places. Um, they're so far only about 40% effective. 
Um, and again, most vaccines, of course, are upwards of 90% effective. So it's, it's a new technology. Uh, but if you've been listening, these are some of the, the kind of the Western funded uh, 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 new kind of future kind of interventions. Um, and as far as what the Chinese are doing, um, this isn't unique to the Chinese, but but this, this process we're talking about is called MDA, Mass Drug Administration. Basically, this is this this has been used in other diseases around the world. It's been used in malaria for many years uh, by different countries. Basically, it involves taking a medicine that's used to treat malaria once you have the disease already and instead giving it preemptively, but giving it preemptively not just to one or two people, but to everyone in a certain location. By doing that, you can kill the parasite that exists in our blood um, for our whole population all at once. That's the idea. And, and then once that, if you, if you keep that, that parasite level in our blood down for about a month, um, then any new mosquitoes that bite us, they won't then become infected with that parasite um, because they, we don't have it in our blood. Mosquitoes only live about a month so or, or a month and a half. So it's this new idea of why don't we just eliminate malaria from our blood all at once that then therefore when we get bitten by mosquitoes, they can't contract the parasite and therefore they can't spread it anymore. And so um, Chinese donors and companies and researchers have actually teamed up uh, going back 12 years now uh, or, or longer to eradicate malaria from the African nation of Comoros, um, a small island, uh, nation comprised of, of a few prime, main islands um, kind of off the coast of Mozambique uh, be, before Madagascar. And um, they've successfully done so. They've successfully eradicated malaria from three of, of the nation's four major islands using this therapy. And now they are doing uh, trials, preparing to do a trial in Kenya, uh, where I've largely been based. And so that was kind of the impetus for this uh, the, the story that I wrote based out of our collaborative reporting project, uh, you know, looking at that, that, that sort of method. Anthony, how are people in Kenya reacting to this plan? Like, are they generally pretty enthusiastic about this, about this scheme? Yeah, um, we spoke to uh, a few researchers, including one Bernard Ogutu, who is a, a, a doctor at the Kenya Medical Research Institute in Kenya and who is aware about the, the, the plan to roll out this particular program at the coast. And uh, Ogutu, as from, a, from a, 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 an expert's point of view, he was saying that there is no need to wait up for, uh, for uh, something else or wait up to have enough money, but just roll it out. In fact, his words were, if the, the, the skill is there, just roll it out. No, and there is no need to wait up for, for, for long. Chen, let me ask you a quick question about who on the Chinese side is actually behind some of these initiatives. Uh, is it uh, Jacob referenced that there's philanthropy and wealthy individuals, but the government is also probably playing a role to some extent, only because I assume that the government in any of these types of initiatives has uh, some stake in it. Tell us a little bit about on the Chinese side what uh, who the actors are and what uh, and what they're doing. Uh, yes, I think if we divide the, uh, the actors into different uh, areas, for sure, that you mentioned that the government is uh, a part of it. Because, for example, as one of the leading professors called Song Jianping, he's not, not only working with universities, but also with working with companies. Some of his initial fundings that in order to um, promote and um, develop the MDA actually coming from the Guangdong government and also the central government. So part of the project initially is funded by the government. But also for sure, uh, some coming from the private sectors, for example, one of the company called New South, located in the southern part of China, 
and、um, part of their business is actually traditional Chinese medicine. And also, their CEO Zhu Lai is also a he has a traditional Chinese medicine background. So he also have this ambition that he would like to promote tradi- traditional Chinese medicines to the world. And artemisin as one of the most effective medicines that's also recommended by the WHO to fight malaria as the first line medicine. Um, is extracted originally from the Chinese traditional medicine, so that's the second、um, actors behind it, and the third ones will be the、um, academics because、uh, there are different institutions that are researching on this、uh, specific component. And、uh, Tu Youyou, for example, is a professor that won the 2015 Nobel Prize specifically based on this、um, traditional Chinese medicine, artemisin.、Um, so I would say that the whole,、um, in general, the Chinese efforts in fighting malaria、uh, will be coming from these three different areas. Jacob, you mentioned that the, that it's already been this this approach was road tested in the Comoro Islands.、Um, And that it's it's had some success. Can you break that success down a little bit?、Um, like, which you know, how successful has it actually been? And then also, can do you feel that that success can it actually be replicated in a place like Kenya? Yeah, that's a great question. And just to give some context here for malaria, you know, I, I think Eric introduced it a little bit.、Uh, the disease at the uh, uh, at the beginning of the show, you know, this is a parasite,、uh, you know, transmitted by mosquitoes. There's a fascinating new book that that we should mention that came out by Timothy Reingrad, a historian that argues that of, of the 52 billion humans who have lived in the history of the Earth, nearly half have probably been killed by malaria. So malaria goes back thousands and thousands of years.、Um, it certainly goes back at least eight thousand to eight thousand BC in China. And so you know, this is something that、um, you know、uh, has Has been, you know, a, a, the, the, potentially the largest、uh, human killer、uh, in history.、Um, the, the parasite itself could go back 30 million years, far bef- before humans. So there's a long history to this. There's also a long history to China's involvement in this. And as Chen mentioned, it was actually Chinese scientists who came up with the、uh, artemisinin, the most common、uh, treatment for malaria that's used today. And so in 1972,、uh, this team of Chinese scientists discovered that. They won, later won a Nobel Prize for it. And so China has been at the, really at the forefront of this, you know, severe disease. And combating this for for so long, and so when they decided to go to the、uh, Comoros, you know, yes, they were using a, a method that had actually been used in China, for example. So China itself has、uh, been a malaria endemic country, and it was only last year, for the first time, that China saw no new native cases of malaria in all of China、um, in probably two thousand years, or、uh, we imagine. And so that's really a feat, and and you know, MDA is one of many uh, uh, interventions that was used to to do that in China, but it, it was in certain parts. Of China also used this kind of mass drug administration that we're now seeing、uh, the Chinese implement and test in parts of Africa. And so, by the time the Chinese came to the Comoros Islands.、Um, You know, they there there was you know this had been used, it had been studied a little bit, and、um, basically what they've managed to do is on three of the islands they've、um, been able to during these interventions、um, eliminate I, I think upwards of ninety percent of the retransmission uh, of uh, malaria. So after you know handing out、uh, or after administering these doses, these small doses of the artemisinin therapies to every everyone or virtually everyone on these islands,、um, and then doing so usually it involves a second round of doing so or 
else monitoring to make sure people don't have it after you've done it the first time. So after doing all that, they've discovered that basically three of the four islands essentially don't have malaria anymore. Um, now, malaria could still be reintroduced if someone carrying malaria went back and traveled to that island, the mosquito bit that person and then, you know, reinfects, uh, you know, someone else. Um, and so that's kind of the issue that um, this, this technology is going to run into as you go to the mainland, places like Kenya, um, other parts of the world, right? Because on an island, there's going to be uh, far less, you know, people going and uh, coming and going. Whereas on Kenya's mainland on the coast, I mean, if you go uh, to the coast, you see people on um, matatus driving up and down and in public vans to work or to um, trade or to, you know, sell their goods somewhere else and come home. So there's all this migration and that makes it much, much more challenging to uh, administer this mass drug administration because people carrying the parasite will then come back into the village or the towns or the cities uh, where this uh, where this is going to be tested. And so um, it is, you know, very early stages and, and you know, it's it has yet to be seen where what parts of mainland Africa, you know, this is going to be an effective treatment and what, what parts it isn't because it's, it's no longer an island. It's not it's not quite as easy as it was on those islands. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's easy on Comoros, which is this tiny little speck of a country, not to, to downplay that in any way. But it's, uh, you know, for an experiment like what they did of doing an MDA there, that's kind of easy because it's self-contained. There's the the physical landmass of Africa, and then there's the cultural and sociological context that China is coming into. And Kenya is a very, very volatile place. It's a place where the Chinese don't always have the best reputation. There are massive concerns about debt trap diplomacy, as the U.S. would phrase it, or Kenyatta overspending on infrastructure, secret deals. There's racism uh, allegations in the standard gauge railway. It's a very complex envir- environment. So, Anthony, I guess I want to come to you on, you know, if it's actually possible to do something like an MDA in Kenya when trust of the Chinese may not actually be that high. And also people have a lot of skepticism, and I think it's well-earned skepticism, about fake Chinese drugs and and the fact that maybe if all these, if everybody has to take these anti-malarial medications, the perception might be that some of them are fake and that the Chinese are trying to pull a fast one. Talk to us a little bit about the context, the political, cultural, sociological context that this experiment might come into Kenya from from China. Yeah, it's true that um, there have been reports of uh, issues to do with racism. And of course, as you said, um, drugs or not not only drugs, but goods coming from uh, China have been treated with a lot of skepticism, especially with regards to their quality here in Kenya. And um, of course, with the MDA being introduced, or as um, Mombasa County looks forward to the introduction of uh, this program, um, soon, it may be it it may run into some bit of problems because of of, of that background. However, um, with the with the Chinese, be, even though there have been uh, these issues with regards to the quality of their products and uh, and issues of racism and the and uh, other things that uh, are uh, a bit on the negative side, there are we've we've also seen some uh, some positivity that may have been overshadowed by the news on issues that that, that were negative regarding the the Chinese products and services and the relations that they have with with the, with the people in Kenya. Some of these include, um, of course, uh, the railway line, uh, uh, despite all the politics and, uh, and uh, the news that go around it, 
uh, it's, it has eased transport between Nairobi and, and Mombasa and uh, very many people can attest to that so that it takes only a few a, f- a fraction of the time that it used to take to go via via road in almost and one spends almost the same amount and there are also some good highways roads that have been uh, constructed by the chinese so it's not everything about china that is being treated with skepticism and when it comes to the mda now it's being it's not being um done specifically by the Chinese themselves. Because if I remember when we spoke to Dee Lee, the, the lady who worked for Fosun and who was in the country to um, speak with, the, to, to organize the liaison around uh, the MDA, she, she, was, uh, she told us that the, the, the program is going to be rolled out together with the county government. So it's not something that is going to be done specifically by the Chinese themselves alone but it's something that is going to be done together with the county government and the national government. And this is something that was confirmed by uh, Dr. Rebecca Kiptui when we, we, we spoke to her, and she's a senior official at the Malaria Control um, uh, Program. So I, I think, uh, and it's, it's not the Chinese alone who are in the health sector, because we, we've heard of, um, of, 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 of people, of uh, doctors from Cuba who have been uh, distributed in, 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 in hospitals across the country and who were received uh, very well by, 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 by people across the country. So I think this being something that comes from um, uh, the health sector and is something that is uh, driven by, by good research and they have like facts to, to back it up. I, I, I know that there are going to be challenges, but uh, it's going to be received well because one is that they are working with the, with, together with the, with the government on that. And in Mombasa, it's a, uh, Mombasa is a place that has um, a high prevalence in, of malaria. And uh, I think the people of Mombasa are going to be receptive to the idea of eliminating uh, uh, cases of malaria in, in, in the region. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at Witt's China Africa or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. can you break down for us who the Chinese, which Chinese entities are involved in which kinds of ways? Because, you know, I remember from reading in the past about some of these initiatives that it's, it's frequently a mix of government, different government entities, universities and private companies. Um, is this the case in, 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 in this case as well? Um, Yes, so we talked about earlier that there are always different um, actors involved in, for example, a accusation of MDA. And uh, of course, it starts with always with universities and research institutions. And uh, so we mentioned one of the names already, which is... um, Song Jianping, and he's a professor of Guangzhou University of Chinese Medicine. And uh, also one of the pioneers of the MDA is called Li Guoqiao. So both of them are sort of have this academic background and they're leading the research. And also not only research, but a lot of their um, experiences actually is from combating malaria, not only in mainland China, but also in Southeast Asia, for example, in Vietnam. 
And so when they uh, have enough uh, research uh, done, and um, so they will work together with the pharmaceutical companies, and which primarily is New South. Uh, we mentioned before, and New South as a company because they're also based in Guangzhou, right? The Guangzhou province, the capital of Guangzhou province. So it's easy for them to uh, collaborate and uh, work on a project together. And also, um, but the same, so part of the funding coming from the company itself, for example, the manufacturers of the medicine, uh, etc. And uh, some of the funding then coming from the university, but not only primarily coming from the university because they would apply for additional fundings with the national government and the provincial government. So that's how um, sort of the different um, partners coming together to to um, to um, in order to manage the project. And uh, I think behind this. Um, there's always different discussions, right? As um, Jake also wrote in the uh, in the article, that what's the interest, for example, of the government as well as the the private sector's uh, interests? Where lies the interest exactly? And uh, um, people will say that, for example, we talk to different experts. One of them will be Desmond from PSI. And he mentioned that it's interesting that why a company would want to essentially promote this this method, and um, it might be that a certain interest in lines behind to promote their medicines and not to sell their medicines. And uh, we can't one hundred percent dismiss that. Um, Initiative because um, it's kind of makes sense, right? A company want to sell their medicines, um, but at the same time, there are also reports, for for example, from different media outlets, uh, saying that, um, and also we talked to their um, their researchers, and uh, for example, Ethan Pon is the one who managed the Kenya market for a very long time, and he was involved in the Comoro projects as well, and saying that New South actually haven't. Um, their major profits doesn't come from the pharmaceutical industry because if we look at New South, they have different projects in, for example, real estate, and uh, they have projects in constructions. If we compare, that we probably will be able to know that where this main profit is coming from. Um, and uh, as for the government, I think we've talked about the the rep- Chinese reputation in Kenya and uh, Africa, and it doesn't seem like they have a winning chance to be one of the most welcomed country in that continent. And I think the government would like to also the uh, the outside world to see China from a different light. Not only the ones that uh, who come here um, and create certain problems in certain areas. They also want to be seen as the ones coming from with certain aspects of foreign aid and also quali- and also quali- offer quality medicines in uh, as also for a affordable price. Yeah, it's one of those these topics that it's very frustrating to watch from the outside looking in and and I'll want to make two different points on this. I was sitting in Beijing uh, in May and there was a representative of Fosun who was talking about her work in 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 the anti-malarial fight in Africa and she she came to tears talking about how passionate she was in in delivering tens of millions of vials to people who would never been able to to get it before i mean the scope and scale of what china can do in terms of their output is unrivaled and and she just said this was a, you know an unadulterated good and it's frustrating in that sense that people don't know about it. 
And I, I mean, I had to go to a China-Africa forum to hear this from a Fosun representative rather than actually hearing about it. So in some senses, again, Kobus and I have talked about this for years, the Chinese only have themselves to blame for their inability to effectively communicate all the some of the good things that they're doing to offset some of the negative things that Anthony pointed out in his comments as well. Uh, Jacob, though, the, the point that I want to come to you, and this is the second point for me that's frustrating about this discussion, is that it seems like everything that Chen kind of outlined is being done within a Chinese context. Chinese scholars, Chinese universities, Chinese government, Chinese corporations, all of it being done purely within a Chinese environment. And yet, the United States, the Gates Foundation, uh, any number of different foundations have spent an enormous amount of time uh, combating uh, malaria around the world. I, I think the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation said that they wanted to eradicate malaria as one of their big uh, goals. And yet, we probably don't see a whole lot of collaboration between uh, the Chinese and, say, the Europeans and the U.S. in this. is Number one, is that correct? And number two, do you see an opportunity here? And please consider the current political climate that we're in as maybe malaria is a space that they could collaborate together. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Eric. And actually, there already are some uh, ways in which uh, you know Chinese entities have collaborated uh, with Western ones. I I, my, I can't remember the exact example, but I believe the Gates Foundation um, has worked with Chinese scientists on a couple initiatives. And you know, I mean, if you're looking at collaboration, um, you know, maybe it's not a, we don't have to think about it as much as you know Chinese you know American collaboration or that sort of thing. But if you look at Chinese African collaboration, um, you'll see that um, uh, just last year, November the Chinese Academy of Sciences opened a research center in Nairobi um, and their Chinese and Kenyan scientists are working together uh, on agricultural things like, you know, creating drought resistant crops and increasing yields of rice and other things. Um, you know, I believe China has welcomes the most African um, students to China for on, on different grants and programs this is something you guys have talked about on the podcast many times uh, more than any other country, I, I, I believe. Um, uh, and second so, you know, to really a- France. France is still number one. Except, except France. Yeah. Right. Second to France, right? Um, and so you have—you really do have uh, from a China Africa kind of side of things. Um, you know, you do see a lot of collaboration already in 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 agriculture and in the sciences in general. I would say. And so, um, but I, I definitely agree with you. There's more room, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's necessarily that the Chinese are more siloed um, on malaria than you know Western entities are. You know, um, when we talk about uh, uh, an NGO, a Western NGO that's been involved in uh, malaria for a long time, we, we talked about PSI, uh, you know, Population Services International. We, we spoke with uh, an expert from from their NGO for this story, and um, you know, they've been you know in this for for decades, and they've been handing out bed nets and that sort of thing. But, you know, everyone has their, their different approaches and everyone has their partners. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, PSI is, um, you know, any uh, more uh, or less, you know, collaborative than some of these Chinese entities are starting to be. I think the thing is, it's just a different approach. So, for example, um, there's, you know, there's there's concerns about this method, this MDA method, right? And there's concerns that you could, uh, that PSI and other, you know, Western entities have, that you could really create a resistance. So, so one of the biggest things threatening all the progress we've made against malaria is resistance by um, the parasite to the drugs that we're using. And you've already see resistance growing in Southeast Asia, and there's worries that this resistance 
resistance is going to spread to Africa and other locations. And so there's very different approaches to this because um, a lot of Western entities that we speak with, whether it's you know Gates Foundation or the World Health Organization or uh, NGOs like PSI, you know they're very concerned about anything that could possibly lead to you know further resistance. And one thing that could uh, or does lead to resistance is the introduction of these artemisinin uh, therapies um, because you know people might get exposed to these and they might you know reduce the malaria in, that exists in someone's bloodstream. Um, but if you don't eliminate that entirely, then those parasites could become resistant to these medicines. Again, these are Chinese. These are, these are ACTs. These these artemisinin combination therapies are all you know uh, based on the Chinese discovered uh, artemisinin. Uh, you know again the most effective. Uh, the worry is that this most effective treatment we have for malaria, which was developed by the Chinese, is in jeopardy. And so I think you have this kind of situation where it's Chinese researchers are, are you know kind of uh, doing these new you know the, 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 these MDA programs with a drug that Chinese scientists, their colleagues, discovered. Um, and then you have um, you know these Western entities that also use all of these same you know originally Chinese discovered drugs, um, but they're they're a little bit more cautious about the resistance that could be created by using those and by and dosing them out into such large populations. And so. Um, but there, but there's, you know, I mean, everyone's reading each other's research. I mean, I mean, research on both sides are being published in, in peer-reviewed journals that everybody's reading. So I, I see your point about, um, you know, it would be nice to see, you know, more collaboration. Yes, to see, for example, Fosun International or New South, these Chinese companies uh, that are creating, uh, you know, these ACTs and, and di- distributing them for these these uh, MDA studies in Africa. It would be nice to see them working hand in hand with Western outlets. But honestly, I think collaboration can can more often even mean, you know, Chinese. Chinese companies uh, working with African ones and Chinese scientists working with African scientists. And as Anthony mentioned, there's so much collaboration, uh, you know, going on between the county government and the federal government in Kenya with these Chinese companies in terms of planning these interventions. I think that's where the future of collaboration is going to going to lie when it comes to the, the China-Kenyan relationship. Okay, so while the governments or the corporations or the institutions may not be collaborating on the fight against malaria you three have been collaborating. We have a China-Africa-America collaboration here on this reporting assignment. Uh, so that, if nothing else, is something really quite remarkable, because to be honest with you, in all the years that Kobus and I have been doing this, we've never seen that before. So congratulations, at least, on showing the way for everybody else. Uh, everybody, if you want to follow the amazing work that these three have done, uh, go to journalismfund.eu. We'll have links to all of this in the show notes. On the Trail of Chinese Pharmaceuticals in Africa, uh, you will see the reports that they've done. They really break it all down. This is a super, super important story to understand and to get from all the different sides, which is why it's so neat that Jacob, Anthony, Chen, uh, and uh, and Felix, I understand, was also on the team. There's Felix Franz, who was a fourth member of your team. Uh, work together collaboratively to build this report. Also, we'll put a link to Jacob's article that was in The Atlantic, China is leading the next step in fighting malaria in Africa. That too is a story that people, particularly in the West, are unfamiliar with, that China has had such a big impact on par, in my view, with what the United States has done with PEPFAR. They deserve a lot more credit for the work that they've done here because it has saved a lot of lives. And let's hope that it actually saves a lot more lives. Now, before we go, I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to connect with each of you. So could we, let's start with you, Jacob, then Chen, and then we'll go to you, Anthony. Just kind of give us where, if people want to follow the work that you're doing, 
what you're reporting on and uh, what your social media handles are, that would be great for people to be able to follow up with you. Jacob, go ahead. Thanks, Eric. Um, people can follow me on my Twitter is probably the best way. It's just my name, Jacob Kushner. So at Jacob Kushner, J-A-C-O-B-K-U-S-H-N-E-R. And uh, on my website, you can find links to my other China and Africa reporting. My website is just my name. So jacobkushner.com. And just uh, I'm going to do a plug. It's a little bit old, but I think probably still relevant. Uh, you wrote an ebook that you did as part of a Pulitzer grant uh, all those years ago back in 2003. 13 and 2012, and you were doing research and reporting on the Chinese in the Democratic Republic of Congo. A fascinating ebook. You can find it on Amazon. I highly recommend it. Uh, it is still relevant today, some of it. And in fact, in those of the parts that are not relevant, do serve in some ways as a benchmark for where the Chinese have come from since 2012 13. So Jacob did an excellent ebook on that. Highly recommended. Chen, let's, uh, how can people follow you and stay on top of what you're doing these days? Um, I think probably Twitter is also the best way, although because of it's blocked in parts of the world, as you guys know. But uh, so I don't certain parts tweet of the world very regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tweet very regularly, but uh, still, it's my name Sun Qian, and then 1988. And do you have a Chinese media account that people can c- contact you if they want to? Yeah, it, you'll be able to find me under my WeChat number, which is four seven two nine eight six four three. Okay. And then, Anthony, if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way to connect? Twitter. Twitter will be good. Uh, my handle is at Anthony Kip, A-N-T-O-N-Y-K-I-P. Well, thank you all three. We really appreciate it. This was a fascinating discussion, and uh, we're really looking forward to having you back maybe in six to nine months just to check in to see how we are making progress in Kenya with this really, really ambitious Chinese uh, initiative. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Kobus, reflecting on the discussion that we've just had over the past half hour, it again just, it just baffles you. I mean, just boggles the mind at how inept Chinese stakeholders are in communicating when they have things like this that are an innate good. I mean, there is nothing bad about what they're doing here. Nothing controversial at all. And yet even this can't get over the line in terms of communication and effectively kind of getting past some of the the narratives that have bogged down China-Africa relations. And so I really do hope that in the next few years that this message gets out on, particularly as it relates to the fight against malaria, because as you talked about, it's not just the people who die from malaria. It's the people who are just slowed by it, who are injured by it, and it just haunts you, and particularly the impact it has on children. And so going back to that conference that I was at where this woman from Fosun was brought to tears, I mean, you know, it's so powerful and it's so important what they're doing. And I do hope that they start to get some of the credit that they do deserve on that. And you and I have not always been, you know, unequivocally supportive of what the Chinese are doing in Africa. But in this particular case, I believe that there is, there's just a lot of good here that's going unrecognized. Yes, I mean, you know, the uh, as as they mentioned, the the methodology might be somewhat controversial, but at the same time, you know, the 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 record that they have so far has, has been very good. You know, what what we've seen in the Comoros is is impressive. And I remember when we covered it a few years ago when they were doing it, um, we raised a lot of these issues then as well. 
And it seems to have been, you know, with, with some qualifications, it seems to have been a, a great success. So, so for Africa as a whole, and I think the, the developing world, you know, um, it, it, it's really important to explore these opportunities, to explore these, these pathways, to see how to move forward, especially in the face of climate change. Because one of the things that we've seen is that one of the effects of climate change is going to be a rapid increase of malaria, um, a, a, a wide spread of, of, of new, or opening up of new ecosystems to, to malaria. Um, and, you know, so, so we're sitting on a time bomb in Africa, um, and it, it might be time for more kind of radical treatment. Yeah, I mean... The Chinese bring a lot of experience to the fight against malaria and other infectious diseases and, and, and mosquito-borne. Or, and these type, I don't even know what the, the category of disease that, that malaria is in. But nonetheless, I mean, because they've been fighting that in their own backyard for so many years and have done a remarkable job at doing it. But it brings up the very important point, and I brought this up with Anthony, and I think the Chinese have to do a much better job at this in terms of stopping the flow of fake pharmaceuticals that leave China and that do find their way into the African market because that fundamentally undermines these really good initiatives that they're doing because if people don't trust the drugs that they're taking, there is no amount of communications or no amount of effort that can be done to change that. And so, again, it goes a little bit like what we were talking about on our, in a discussion we had earlier on, on, uh, on donkey skins and the donkey hides and how those have making their way back into China quite easily and yet beef from Namibia or South Africa or avocados from Kenya, you pointed out, uh, are, you know, have to go through amazing amounts of, of regulations and hurdles in order to make it into the Chinese market. So if they can get a hold of the fake pharmaceutical trade and the counterfeit pharmaceutical trade, it will help initiatives like this on the uh, on, on malaria so much more. So, you know, it's these contradictions. It's, it's crucial. It is absolutely, absolutely crucial. crucial. And yeah. so I do hope that as they start to get more attention on, uh, on the anti-malarial fight, that then they will also recognize the need to crack down, if they can, on, on the counterfeit pharmaceutical fight. So... Well, that'll do it for this edition of the show. That was uh, that was exciting with five you know, with five of us, three guests. We've never done that before, uh, so we'll probably try that again since it worked. Uh, but it was really great to have all of those different uh, voices at the table, and that's what we like to do uh, at the China Africa Project. By the way, um, we've got a whole lot of great content on our website. We're going to be focusing much more on health and development sustainability, as because as Kobus pointed out, climate change is an unavoidable reality, uh, not just in the China-Africa relationship, but everywhere. And so we're going to to dedicate more time to that going forward in the next one to two years and uh, just to explore different facets of it, like what we've done here with malaria. So if you'd like to follow up with us and let us know what you think, email Cobus at C-O-B-U-S at ChinaAfricaProject.com. And you can find me Eric, E-R-I-C, at ChinaAfricaProject.com as well. We will also include some of these stories in our newsletter. You can find that over on our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com. It goes out every Friday. It's free. We would love to have you part of this community. It's a great way to kind of get the, the best of the week in review of the top China-Africa stories that Kobus and I curate on Thursdays before it goes out on Friday. So sign up today, and then we'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project 
to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com. Music